Uh, my name's Judy, and uh, I'm the associate pastor here, and uh, it's great to see so many people in the flesh and uh, to worship together. Wasn't it brilliant, uh, just all singing together? And uh, as we look at the person of Jesus, which we have been doing over the last few weeks, we're going to take just a little bit of a sidestep uh, into the Gospel of Matthew, um, looking at an extension of Jesus' manifesto. Tim talked last week about that manifesto, about perhaps people who might have been hurt by religion, but actually found healing in true faith and relationship with Jesus. And we're going to look this morning, just for a few minutes, at Jesus being an influencer. Okay, now the influencers at the moment, it's quite a buzzword, isn't it? If you're on Instagram or any kind of social media, people are influencers. Emma Raducanu, uh, just in 36 hours after winning the US Open, had 2 million followers just in 36 hours because of her win. Now, that's a good influence. I think we could all agree. She's a great girl. She's young. Uh, she's at the top of her game, and she's influencing. And uh, what she wears, if she wears a dress, then it sells for thousands. She's influencing our purchases, maybe, and uh, definitely probably making us all want to be just that little bit better at tennis, for sure. Um, but there's also people like Marcus Rashford, who we've heard so much brilliant news about in the last couple of years, about the poverty that he grew up with and his determination to turn the tables on that and say, let children be fed, whether that's at break time, whether that's breakfast club, and all the hours and following that he created to overcome poverty with good, to overcome evil with good. And if you look at Jesus Christ, and we're going to uh, do that just for the next few minutes. He is, I dare to say it, and you can challenge me or come up at the end and say, I've found another one, or you can put it on the chat. But I believe that Jesus is the greatest influencer of all time. Anybody agree with me? Oh, yes. Oh, there's a few of us here. Well, let me just read something that I read when I was a teenager, uh, which really impacted me. For some of you, you'll have heard it many times before about the life of Jesus. For some, maybe you've never heard it. But this is, I think, the countercultural, radical nature of Jesus. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did any of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but his very self. Over 20 long centuries have come and gone, and today he is still the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress and culture. Is that worth a round of applause for Jesus? I think it is. He is still influencing all these years on, and yet his life was so radically different to what we think influencers should really be like. I googled how to become an influencer. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I thought I would. And there are three things apparently you need to do. You need to define your brand, you need to engage with your followers, and you need to be willing to collaborate. And as we are church, as we're Riverside Church, whether you're a church at home or church in the room or you've just found us on YouTube, 
This is what Jesus did. He defined a brand that was love. He defined a brand that said, do not let evil overpower you. Overcome evil with good. He defined a brand that actually met person by person to bring truth, to bring change, to bring healing. Whatever that person was, whether they were an outcast, whether they were ostracized, whether they were sick, whether they were married, unmarried, rich or poor, he gave them time, he gave them love. He gave them worth and he gives us worth today. Our brand, if you like, is love, it's acceptance, it's forgiveness. That's our brand. Uh, Would you agree with me? I know you're still a long way off, but yes. Secondly, engage with your followers. Jesus engaged with his band of 12 in order that we change the world. And what they did as a band of 12, people getting it wrong, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, messing up, all of us would say, that's us. That band of followers changed the course of history. Now, that's the good news, but the even better news that I believe is that's our commission too. Our commission too is to keep on changing the course of history. And you might say, well, Judy, I feel a bit powerless. I don't see that I'm an influencer. I don't meet many people. Nobody really listens. I'm very quiet or I don't really do anything on social media. But every time we go out of our front door, whether it's just smiling at a neighbor, we influence We can all do it. When my dad died in January in his care home, the phrase that they used was, the sunshine has gone from this place. He couldn't really speak, couldn't really communicate, but he could smile and he could laugh. We can all do it. He had the power of Jesus in him, and he believed it to his dying breath. And we have that. We have that same power. The third thing is be willing to collaborate. We've been talking so much recently, and wasn't it great to hear how group life has sustained people through this really, really horrendous time for us? How community groups and life groups and parenting must have been lovely for those parents to get a shout out when perhaps you feel, oh gosh, I've been the worst parent in the world, but somebody shouts out for you. And I think just a shout out to all of us for getting through this time and clinging on to each other. And it's so brilliant to hear everyone here today being willing to collaborate with each other and with his spirit, with God's Holy Spirit, that we can be containers of that. So in Matthew, Jesus, if you like, extends his manifesto, right? We've heard how we engage with followers, but he says this, and this is to us here in this room. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Every single one of you, a little bit of a granule of salt. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can we be made salty again? So we have to stay salty in order to be these world changers, these influences that each of us, I believe, is longing to be. As the news gets worse, and it has this week with news of Sarah Everard and just, you know, horrendous things that if you're anything like me, you can get overwhelmed. But actually, in this, we have an opportunity to bring healing. Jesus says, you are the salt. Now, interestingly, he says you're the salt of the earth, Uh, But he doesn't say, you are the carriers of salts. Now, I was learning this a little bit this week. So he doesn't say, pop a sachet in your back pocket and on you go. He says, you're it. You're the granules. Now, the interesting things about salt is it does two things. And salt creates thirst. We know that. It creates thirst wherever we go. 
it creates a thirst. How salty are our lives in creating a thirst around us? And what are we creating a thirst for? We are his salt. We create a thirst, and the other thing that salt does is it brings out the flavor. It brings out the God flavors, as Eugene Peterson puts it. And that's our calling. That's the extension, if you like, of us being influences for Jesus, that we're creating a thirst and we're bringing out the good. We're bringing out the good flavors. Transformation, Alan Scott says, we don't sit at the feet of culture. We shape culture with truth, with justice, and with beauty. I'm just going to say that again because it's not on the screen. We don't sit at the feet of culture. We shape culture with truth, with justice, and with beauty. Now, if that's our commission, what can we do? Well, um, when I was in Wales um, many, many moons ago now, years ago, there was quite a tough housing estate there, and there was very, very levels, high levels of crime, and people there were despairing. They were just, you know, what's the point anymore? What's the point in beauty? What's the point in being neighborly? They were just bowed down. And this lady moved in to the estate, and she said, well, I'm a great believer in beauty. So she got all her beautiful pots, and she put them outside of her house, and they were the only ones on the whole estate that had pots with beautiful flowers in. And people were naysaying and saying, oh, they won't last very long, and, you know, what a shame. And sure as day, after three days, they were taken. They went in the night. But she decided that she would go out, buy slightly cheaper pots, and do the same thing again. Maybe she went to home base, a little plug there. And uh, she went to get some more, and she put plants in again, and again, and again. And this process went on, and they did keep getting nicked. I wonder if it was someone just a few doors down. I don't know. Um, but it'd be funny if they'd appeared a couple of doors down. But anyway, they, they went. But what was interesting was people started to say, oh, we really miss your flowers, and we will do the same. And over time, that little bit of the cul-de-sac, that little bit of the estate, they all started putting their pots out. If it goes, it goes. We're going to put them out there. And after a while, there was honor and respect, and the pots stayed. Now, that's a very simple story. It may be apocryphal. I did meet the lady who told it me in a beautiful Welsh accent. And she had bought, in her own way, transformation. Now, you might just say, Judy, that's just gardening. But it's a lot more than that because it's a persistence in saying, I will overcome evil with good. We will not bow down. And that was Jesus' manifesto, to stand up and stand out, and hence his choice of salt. Salt heals us if we swim in the sea. It purifies, bringing truth. And Jesus said, you are that salt. We are that salt. Now, another thing about salt is, whose favorite food here, oh dear, calamity on the tower. Um, whose favorite food is salt here? Nobody. Because nobody really thinks, oh, I'd love a bag of salt right now. That's, you know, that's what I'm thinking about. We don't. But who would like a bag of chips now? Oh, yes. I was going to bring them, but we were here at 7.30, so sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> I haven't got those. But um, a bag of fries we sort of crave, don't we? And we think, oh, wouldn't that be nice? And even just perhaps the smell of them or a bag of crisps. Because of what salt does, because of what it brings out, it, if you like, points us to something beyond itself. Jesus himself, as the gospel story drew to its dramatic conclusion, 
lives out the same message as the Sermon on the Mount. He is the salt of the earth. He loves his enemies. He gives his life for them. He's lifted on a hill so that the world can see. And we live out that same story. We live out that saltiness. And it may be that you think, oh, do you know what? I'm not very salty. But actually you are because God lives in you. And if you are someone who's just even prayed a couple of prayers, you are that salt. And as we go on and as we gather, we know the power of those granules coming together. We know that a pinch of salt does a brilliant thing in a pan, doesn't it? It does that for the soup or whatever it is you're making. And our life groups and our community groups are those pinches of salt. They're those gatherings of salt that say, yeah, I'm a good little granule, but aren't we better when we collaborate? Aren't we better when we're together? Don't we hold more seasoning? more power to change when we're together. And that's why we put huge emphasis on that moving forwards as part of the vision, that we, in those little clusters, can do so much. But the doctors amongst you, and I know there are a few here, or nurses or medics, um, could say that salt is bad for us. And that would sink this talk, really, wouldn't it? Um, but actually, <laughs> so I'll go. But um, salt is bad for us when there's too much of it. And I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, I hope it's not stretching the metaphor to say we're not supposed to just all stick together in a holy huddle. Because church is salt to be sprinkled, it's salt to be scattered, it's saints to be scattered wherever you work, wherever you eat, wherever you go, to create that thirst for justice, that thirst for good, that thirst for purity and holiness. So yes, we've got the pinches of salt, which is our group life, but let's not become such a big old clump you know, because it never goes fast at salvate, does it? You know, I've got bags of salt that are probably as old as I am. So, you know, we do actually need to distribute the salt around. Um, I was talking to Sam Roberts, who can't be here today, but she had a lovely chat with her this week, and she's had a really tough time, as many of you will know. And uh, she said, I was sp I've got this gig at Silverstone, which sounds brilliant to me. I mean, I'd love that, particularly if it was racing. Um, but she got a gig there, which was uh, doing massages for people, and she just felt overwhelmed. She just thought with the petrol shortage and everything, she didn't think she'd get petrol, wasn't going to go. And she just sort of really put on the WhatsApp, I won't go unless anyone can give me a lift there. And the only person who messaged her on the WhatsApp was the person who she was convinced hated her. Has ever that happened to any of you? Know, it was just the person who reached out was the person she thought, no, not you, someone else. But actually, no, she thought, no, there's an opportunity. There's a salty opportunity, if you like. And she went in that car to Silverstone. She talked not only to that woman, but three other people about what she has called, um, let me just, I wrote it down. A resilient, defiant peace. A resilient, defiant peace. And when they said, how are you getting through? She said, God is giving me a resilient, defiant peace in the turmoil. And three lives, at least, were touched by that. And it was shared again on the WhatsApp. Now, that came from her in a bad place, going, you know, perhaps doing a little bit of a feeling sorry, and then reaching out and being salt. 
And we're called to be salt and light. I'm not going to talk about light today because I think light gets quite a lot of teaching. Um, although I do love light. My neighbor has described my house or my garden as a landing strip. I've got so many solar fairy lights now that he just calls it the landing strip. Um, if there are any rogue planes, that's the place to land. But salt is given less of a press. It's a sort of underground thing. It's part of the very earth. And yet, it's part of change. It's part of seasoning and part of the change that God wants us to make. John Piper says, people do not enjoy salt. They enjoy what is salted. We are the salt of the earth. We do not exist for ourselves. Now, if you're a people pleaser like me, I think this is important because we are not going out being kind and good so that people love us. <laughs> We're going out being kind and good and loving and searching for justice and truth and beauty and holiness because we want to point people to Jesus. That's the goal. And that's the thirst we want to create to people that will not bow down, even in these difficult days. We exist for the kingdom. We exist for something beyond being liked, being loved. And we won't always be liked and we won't always be loved, but we can always point people to the love of Jesus that is unconditional. In Romans, we read this, which I believe is an extension, a beautiful extension of this. Paul says, hate what is evil, hate it, Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Never be lacking in zeal. That's the saltiness. Don't lose it. But keep your spiritual fervor. Keep your spiritual fervor. And just moving a couple of verses down in chapter 12. Do not be overcome by evil. And I felt this was a real word for us today. Do not become overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. How about if every single one of us, young and old here in this room, did six things this week, maybe seven, that's more biblical, <laughs> seven things this week to overcome evil with good. Wouldn't that be amazing? Now, how do we do that? It's up to us. It might be a pot plant. It might be a bunch of flowers. It might be a message to encourage that person or make that card. It might be where you see injustice, standing up against it, because that's what Christians have always done. You know, abolishing slavery, looking at what's going to be happening at the stadium. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing that finally Christians are coming together and repenting of our differences, repenting where we've not lived a life of racial equality and said, let's bow the knee together and move forward. That's overcoming evil with good. When the footballers bow the knee, I know that's got a bad press, but I love that because I think it's a very humble act, actually. It's a very humble posture that in, is in a way, in its own way, a posture of overcoming evil with good, a posture of togetherness as we go to our knees. So our vision as the church is to take this salt out, to create thirst, to create change, and to do that person by person, like our lady in Wales. Uh, I was um, in Glasgow last week, and I heard this brilliant phrase, which has kept me going and is still keeping me a bit challenged. The man speaking, uh, he was from Harris in Scotland, so it's quite hard to tell what he was saying. He had this beautiful, rich accent. And he said, do the natural, routine things spiritually and do the spiritual things naturally and routinely. 
Do the natural and routine things spiritually. So you could be washing your car, walking to work, whatever it is, just a natural thing. Doing it spiritually, doing it with our eyes open, with our ears open to what God might be saying to us as his people, as his salt shaker, as those people going out. What are we hearing? What are we listening as we do those natural things? And do the spiritual things naturally and routinely. In other words, don't be weird. Don't you love that? (laughs) It gives me peace anyway. It's saying, you know, because you're a Christian, Tim and I thought we might do a series called Don't Be Weird. Um, But there is something about it, isn't it? That actually, it's natural. We're believers in God. We believe he died for us. We believe he is the hope of the world. Let's naturally chat about him, whether we're at the pub, the cafe, at school, because we believe it. And if we believe it, it's worth chatting about. It's worth doing it naturally, not going all weird, but just doing it in a natural way, the ways that God has gifted us naturally to do. So as I come to a close, I'm going to read the end of that piece that I began with about the life of Jesus as an influencer says, all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Isn't that amazing? Nobody. And so my conclusion is, He was who he said he was. He is who he said he is. He is Jesus. He is the hope of this world. He is the salt of the earth, and he's included us in that. He's collaborating with his followers. He's saying, we're in this together. You take on the baton and be an influencer. Alan Scott says, the dream of God over your life is not that you become a believer and help out the church. The dream over your life is that you come alive in his presence that you bring life to every environment, spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. If you, if you remember nothing else, think of that. How do we spill out contagious hope in a world that is bowed down this week, in a world where there's a lot of despair on Twitter? How do we tweet something that might lift people, send a photo, do something to do that? God has entrusted believers with an assignment to lead the earth to life. So as we go, as we are salt scattered, let's pray that we bring healing. Let's pray that we bring hope. Let's pray that we bring truth. Words laced with grace, as Gerard Kelly puts it. 